Welcome back to the Centered in the City podcast. Today is our final day exploring mental health, specifically mental health in the workplace. And I am so excited to have my friend and colleague Janine Johnston back with me on the Centered in the City podcast. Janine joined me a few months ago where we explored the loneliness epidemic that is happening in our country and how we can create more connection with one another. I'll link that show in the show notes if you'd like to circle back and listen to it. I'm excited to have Janine on the podcast today because we're going to talk about compassionate leadership, why it matters, why we all need it, and why now. So let's settle into this episode and let's get centered. Janine, welcome back to the Centered in the City podcast. Thanks, Wade. I'm so happy to be here. Janine and I are facilitating an amazing workshop coming up December 1st with Regis University at the Anderson School of Computing and Executive Education. It's their business school, and we are leading a day-long training around the compassionate leader, skills that AI can't replace. So I wanted to have Janine on the podcast that we could just share our love for this program and also kind of answer questions that might be out there for people um, once you hear this podcast episode. So Janine, I'm curious, like for you, where is your motivation for creating this type of offering in the world right now? Well, Wade, funnily enough, when I'm looking at the world, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how people are suffering, where are their pods of suffering? And in some of the experience I've had, I've noticed that leaders get a bad rap sometimes, you know, uh, often leaders uh, set the tone of an organization that they lead and I think from afar, it looks like things are all shiny and happy for them, but I think there's a lot of difficulty with being a leader. It's it's a huge responsibility that never ends. It's like being in a college course that you can never get out of, really, you know, it, with tons of, of responsibility for other people and other activities going on. And so I've been wanting for some time to bring a workshop to, to leaders on the beautiful resource resource of of compassion of self-compassion and compassion for others and how that could transform business Mm. yeah it's so true that at the top leaders express feeling lonely because there's a sense of pressure that is unique to them and even though a lot of leaders are making a lot more money as we know money doesn't buy happiness once you hit a certain threshold, studies have shown that you're not necessarily a happier person. And so leaders who are typically bringing in these bigger incomes also feel the immense pressure that comes with maintaining the business, making sure that people are being managed appropriately and also having to constantly like find people. I know I hear that from some of my clients that ends up being one of the hardest parts of leadership is 
the people management. It's not just the product that they're creating. I get lit up about us offering this programming because the world is on fire <laughs> in many ways, right? From our environment to just the constant social political upheavals that are happening locally or globally. And we all need resources. We all need some skills and tools of how to have capacity to keep showing up, not only showing up for ourselves, that sense of resiliency, but showing up for each other so that we can like keep making big positive impact on this world. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I learned that this notion that, that my generation grew up with, it was this new notion that all kids should have self-esteem. And I imagine that a lot of leaders out there are still kind of feeding that notion that we need to have self-esteem. But what research has showed is that having self-compassion actually makes us more resilient. So it's not that we have to be the best at absolutely everything because that's impossible and that creates brittleness and um, shame and perfectionism that actually learning how to relate to ourselves and to others with this notion of self-compassion, which is the notion that I am going to treat myself with the kindness that I need, with the protective motivational energy that I need so that I can be resilient, not necessarily better than all others, helps people go further. And I think that with that notion, to some extent, this notion that somebody has to be better than all others is related to the fire that you're talking about, dominating, suppressing others because I have to be the best. If that is the, the motivation to succeed, it creates a lot of the upheaval that we're seeing and the destruction of our environment as well, I believe. Mm, that social hierarchy that you're referring to. Yeah, and you hit such an important piece about how we relate to each other. And in this world that is volatile and complex, having emotional skills and tools of how we relate, not only to ourselves, but how we relate to each other is so essential. And, you know, one of the things that kind of brings a smile on my face is we we've titled our training skills that AI can't replace because in this world that is moving so fast and that is so technologically heavy. And I mean, AI is going to transform our world and the work world in so many ways in positive ways and also ways where we might start to lose more of that human connection and those skills of how we relate with one another. So I'm just excited because I get so lit up and passionate about helping people feel human in the workplace specifically, not only in their lives, but in the workplace. And, and we just get to equip people with more of these quote unquote softer skills that are gonna be essential for the now, for this world that we're navigating right now, but for the future. Absolutely. What an honor it is that you and I get to spend some time with discussing what it means, you know, what are the elements of being human that technology can't touch? And maybe what are the things that we've kind of forgotten about ourselves that we can 
remember, bring back in in order to connect with one another, in order to feel seen, feel understood, and in doing so, create an environment where there is more creativity, more innovation, more satisfaction by virtue of being more human. <laughs> one of the things I'm hearing these days is that people are wanting a workplace that not only, you know, emphasizes well-being and flexibility and allows there to be space for diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. But one of the things I hear amid that is transparency, right? Transparency is so important for people to feel that sense of psychological safety, that they know what's happening kind of behind the curtain of leadership. And when it's vague or when there isn't transparency happening, of course, that stirs up so much anxiety of like, is another round of layoffs happening? Is another reorg happening? How am I doing at work? You know, I think that's why a lot of company cultures have tried to establish more rounds of feedback to help mitigate that layer of ambiguity that can happen. And when employees are calling for leadership to be more transparent, I think there's a, a discernment between being transparent and talking to your community through corporate speak, like just giving a kind of blanket statement that checks the box versus sounding actually human when you're being transparent to your community about what's happening. For instance, as the war was breaking out in Israel and Palestine a few weeks ago, I was checking in with some friends and clients about how they were doing and asked the question, you know, has your company reached out and shared anything? And they all said no at that point. Like their company, it had been a few days and their company had not yet said something. And that made them feel really unseen and unsafe at work. It took a while for companies to create and craft, you know, a quote unquote appropriate statement which I'm all for taking your time to communicate, right? We want to make sure we're communicating with intention versus being reactive. But there is a difference between how some of them felt when the leadership was actually speaking from an emotional place of heart centered, like, wow, this horrible thing is happening in the world versus what some of them also demonstrated was kind of, again, just using jargony language, like, you know, we stand with blank and, and we're going to stay committed to our values. And it felt more like high level heady talk. There was such a difference in how people felt safe and cared for. To me, that just emphasizes and gave me so much more motivation for our training and for this course that we're hosting, because the world is calling for compassionate leaders, whether you are a manager, director, C-suite, or you are the leader of your family. Like we are all needing to emphasize this inner muscle to be more compassionate leaders. I'm so glad that you brought that in. I mean, this is where it really gets sticky. Part of what you're talking about is this courage to say something that comes from the heart in business and to peel away politics and messages that we're getting on the TV. And for, 
a human leader to relate to the people that are in their organization as other humans. Um, it reminds me that the central question of mindful self-compassion is what do I need? And um, from there as a leader, what does my organization need? And in a time of turmoil, of course, the people in an organization are gonna need that transparency to know what this place that they go to every day where they spend the majority of their time how it lands on these controversial spaces uh, how, how are we holding that what is what is our organizational culture around interfacing with the world around us including major conflicts in different places and uh, compassion can lead the way for leaders to be able to decide how to have that courage to speak up and create transparency, I believe. Honored to be able to bring some practical skills about how to develop one's own compassion in leadership. I love that you just brought in those questions of, you know, what do I need? What does my organization need? And I think this might stir up for people, so I wanna call this out and even just highlight like Janine, what are some of the myths about compassion? Because I think a huge one that I hear is that it's selfish, right? To ask yourself, what do I need? Oh, that's selfish. And it's like, that is not selfish. You know, we need, we as humans, we need needs, right? We have needs and not all the time are they met, but to even just acknowledge that we have needs is so human and so natural and something I think all of us could use support with. I know I can, like I, even as much as I think I know about myself and have awareness, it's still really hard to check in with myself and, and think like, huh, what is my need in this moment? And you and I were talking offline about how sometimes when our needs aren't met, that can create some anger and then that can create resentment. And then that can really kind of bleed and create rupture in relationships or in culture. So what are some other misconceptions about self-compassion or even just compassion in general? Yeah, well, um, Kristen Neff, who was at the University of Texas when she identified these, identified five myths in her research on compassion, um, self-compassion specifically, that people fear being compassionate to oneself is a form of self-pity um that it is narcissistic that it is selfish as you already mentioned that it's weak that it's complacent so this notion that we can take care of our needs that we can learn how to be our own inner ally is confused maybe with this notion that if we show up for ourselves, then we're not showing up for the world. But as mothers know, as leaders know, if you don't have any energy, as a car knows, if you don't have any gas in the tank, you're not going anywhere. You can't help anyone move. And as a mother, as a leader, if you haven't taken care of your needs, then you can't possibly meet the needs of the people who work with you and de deliver a product or service that anybody wants. So it's critically important that leaders have self-compassion and then to create that culture of 
of safety and innovation and creativity that they extend that from themselves out to another. And though humans are fairly good at sometimes offering compassion to others when we don't offer it to ourselves, if we do offer it to ourselves, then that compassion that we offer to others can be more sustainable and you know, we can practice on ourselves. So we know how to, what, what feels best to us may work better for other people too. So it has to be this sort of cycle of compassion for self and compassion for other in order to keep that tank topped off. So the car keeps running and the organization keeps doing what it does. Yeah, and I think to, to emphasize like that's such a scarcity mindset that individuals and culture can get into that there's only enough for self or for others, right? But that both can happen, right? Compassion can be there for self and there can be compassion for others. And that there's enough for both. But as you beautifully stated, we can't give if we're on empty. So how we're refilling our own tanks. And a lot of the time, I've I've discovered this in my own just journey, is we constantly look outside of ourselves to get our needs met, which, you know, is advantageous as, as a human, as an animal, but we also have to be empowered to meet our own needs. And that is obviously deep, hard work, you know, um, that's some like inner child shit there, you know, that I've been exploring, but it is so essential and part of learning how to meet our own inner needs is that self-compassion piece. Yeah. You spoke to resentment a little earlier and anger. I've noticed that when I teach mindful self-compassion, not at first necessarily, but over time, this is one of the greatest aha moments that people have is, oh, I've been looking for all sorts of other people to meet my needs, especially those closest to us. And I never thought of the fact that I could meet those needs. It's just this kind of blindness that we often have that we're hoping others will ascertain what our needs are and somehow find the right way to meet them. And we don't work on meeting our own needs. That's not something that we're necessarily taught as we grow up, inner child or not, whatever our intergenerational inheritance is, it's just a skill that maybe we lost, maybe long ago we were taught that as humans, but it's not very common that we're taught how to how to take care of ourselves. Totally, because think of it as a baby, we're trained to cry, to reach out for our mother caretaker to meet our needs. And so it's somebody outside of us, like we don't know how to feed ourselves. We don't know how to change ourselves. We don't know how to self-soothe until a little later, hopefully. Um, some of us never learned that or we're still learning that. It's that reprogramming, oh, we're maturing, that we can meet our own needs and kind of let go of that deep, deep training that's instilled in our mammal survival. Yeah. And no matter what our upbringing was and whether our mom did come and meet our needs, if even if that it wasn't true, we can learn to do it later on. You know, that's that's really freeing too. Um, I was just telling you offline about some quote that I was reading recently about how um, mammals are unique 
in that we cry out for our mother and our mother comes or our caregiver comes to, to meet our needs. So we have this mechanism to say, hey, I have, I have a need here. And that reptiles are different, like the Komodo dragon. When uh, a baby Komodo dragon needs something, the last thing they're gonna do is cry out because they might annoy their mother and um, Komodo dragons happen to be cannibalistic. So mom might eat you <laughs> if you ask for too much. So <laughs> It's a survival mechanism, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, but so I guess the Komodo dragons figure out how to meet their needs pretty early. <laughs> um, but, we can all find out how to meet our needs and live a happier life, just self-generated by virtue of um, of getting getting our needs, which doesn't mean that we don't need one another, we don't need organizations, we don't know community and families, but it also means that we can be happier in those systems when we're not expecting other people to read our minds and meet our needs if we're not articulating them well. Right, and if we're, able to kind of self-regulate by self-soothing. So we're kind of managing our internal emotional mental system with more care. We also then have capacity to actually be less selfish, if that makes sense. Like we're, we're taking care of self already. So we have more mental load, emotional load, capacity to hold space for others, which as a leader, you have a big team you need. And when we're cutting ourselves out of the equation, that's really where I start to see leaders drowned and resent and feel like they're constantly in survival mode versus thriving mode. Yeah, absolutely. It's a whole shift in mindset that uh, is really um, energizing. Um, and I look forward to talking about that in our workshop. We're going to be showing some scientific studies that show how compassion can light us up and energize us. And um, we're going to contrast that with empathy, which might be a surprise to some folks, but look forward to explaining it better in the workshop. Well, I can't wait. I will link the ability to register in the show notes. For anybody who's interested, we have an early bird discount to sign up that expires on November 10th. And we also have a group rate. So if you and some coworkers want to join this program together, or you and some friends, or maybe you have some colleagues in a different organization and you all kind of are in a mastermind group together, this is a great way to tap into your professional development budget, whether at work or within your own professional development budget and contribute to how you get to be a more compassionate leader for yourself and for others. So feel free to reach out if you have questions. It's happening December 1st. And Janine, I can't wait to hold this space with you. It's gonna be virtual online, but we're gonna make it really fun. So don't, Zoom fatigue is not gonna happen, we promise. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to facilitate this with you. I'm really looking forward to it as well, Wade. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Yeah. And thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been lots of fun. Thanks so much for listening to the Centered in the City podcast. If this episode created a spark or a pause or like, hmm, 
I'm wondering what this would be like for me to explore this compassionate leadership side. I welcome you to check out the link in the show notes and reach out if you have any questions. Janine and I intentionally designed this program to be on a Friday right before the holiday rush because we wanted to offer leaders an opportunity to have their own retreat, have their own opportunity to strengthen some of these skills and gain some personal reflection on their own leadership styles so that they can think about what are their own goals and personal development as they step into the new year. So if you are curious to flex this muscle and learn more about yourself and also feel resourced to be a leader in these volatile and chaotic times, we welcome you to join us and many other like-minded leaders. Looking forward to seeing you there and until next time, stay centered.